Hey, I'm Bruce Weinstein, and this is the podcast Cooking with Bruce and Mark. And I'm Mark Scarborough, and together, Bruce and I have written 35 cookbooks, including the Instant Pot Bible and Instant Pot Bible, The Next Generation, which I so wish was titled The New Testament of (laughs) Instant Pot Bibles, but we couldn't do that. That's a slight bit of blasphemy. But As the Dante expert, you know all about that. I do know all about it. But on this episode of our podcast, we're not talking about Instant Pots. We want to talk about the climate change food vandalism that's going on (laughs) and some lazy person's points to actually helping the climate crisis by what you eat. We have our one-minute cooking tip. We want to talk, yay, about our new book, which is out this week. And of course, we're going to end with what's making us happy in food this week. So let's go. Climate change, art. And food, what do these things all have in common? Well, if you've been paying attention to the news, you know that food has been thrown onto great works of art around the world. <laughs> yes, I think I think everybody kind of knows this. It started with the guy at the Louvre, I think, who threw the cake at the Mona Lisa, but it's now uh, gone on and on. I've always wanted to throw a cake at the Mona Lisa. <laughs> and then there were the guys that splattered the mashed potatoes all over Claude Monet's hey. grain stacks. What did the Mo- Mona Lisa ever do? What did La Gicombe ever do to you? Come on. Nice. <laughs> well, then the tomato soup was thrown on Van Gogh's sunflowers. I thought maybe it was an homage to Andy Warhol with the tomato soup. But no. No, these people were trying to make a point. And to get their point across even more, not only did they throw food on the art museums, they glued didn't, their hands didn't to some the walls. Guy, didn't he super glue his head? They, no, Did, their hands. Yes, no, one of the guys super glued his head to the that, Vermeer. And that way they couldn't be taken away so quickly and more. they got more attention. So what happens and, with that? I mean, I, I saw the videos and, of course, I saw them on TikTok. But what what happens to that? Oh, I mean, they can get medics in, too. They're, they're solvents. They can get rid of that. But it takes time. And they so don't that, just slice your hand off? Uh, no, that, the blood might really ruin the painting. No, because all, isn't it that they're doing this to, to all paintings that are behind glass? The point is they did not want to ruin the art. They just wanted to make a point. Yeah. And the point, look, the Harvard School of Medicine has says there's a point to this. 76% of the world's population gets most of its daily nutrition from plants. Yeah. Right? That makes sense. Yeah. And in most places where food is grown, crop yields are going to be lower because of more frequent heat waves, air pollution, floods, droughts, all because of climate change. Yeah, well, and let me say this about that. While while we're on this, we have a very good Southern friend, and she always starts her sentences with, let me say this about that, which just cracks me (laughs) up. Um, So let me say this about that. I have made a decision recently that essentially I'm only going to eat protein, animal protein, fish, shellfish, meat, pork, chicken, etc., at most once a day. So I have changed the way I eat. No eggs for breakfast, burgers no. for lunch, and roast chicken no. for dinner. No, and no bacon for breakfast. I've really changed the way I eat. And I changed it because of health reasons, because of getting older, because of wanting to watch my cholesterol, because of wanting to watch my sugar intake. I mean, I changed it for a million reasons. And, and I realize animal protein doesn't have anything to do with your sugar load. Mm-hmm. But still, nonetheless... The French fries you tend to eat with, it does. 
list. Yeah, exactly. But it's still on the list. I kind of wanted to make a change. Um, and in case you don't know this about sugar, this is going to be kind of gross. Sorry. Um, suddenly, I feel like the podcast is sitting to a gross place. But in case you don't know this, one of the things that can help with sugar loads is fiber and increasing yeah. the fiber in your diet. And thus, I also wanted to help with possible geriatric diabetes. I mean, listen, I am old enough that these things probably head over the horizon for me. And I wanted to head them off because, uh, you know, I'd like to try to do what I can. So anyway, the point of eating more vegetables during the course of the day and eating more oatmeal and that kind of stuff for breakfast, all of that point was to make sure that I'm eating more fiber. So there's, oh, here it comes, the gross words. So there's faster transit. Oh, my God. Well, actually, it's interesting. You get faster transit lower (laughs) down, but slower transit above. So what fiber does is it Mm. expands in your stomach Mm. and it keeps food in your stomach longer, Mm -hmm. which delays the release of the sugar you've eaten. So there's a slower release of the sugar. Once that fiber does make it into your lower bowels, past the pylori sphincter, as we like to say, the scenic gateway, the lower bowel. (laughs) Then things move along a little faster we, with the we, fiber. We actually do all the time. I don't know why it comes up so much. We always call the pyloric sphincter the scenic gateway to the lower bowel. Didn't we get that off some TV show? Their Futurama. Oh, they shrunk course. down and they went inside <laughs> somebody. You in. cannot believe how often the pyloric sphincter comes up in our house. But okay, go on. Do go on. So that's that's so, how fiber actually yeah, helps okay. with that. I think that that's really important to review just again is that fiber slows down the upper GI and speeds up the lower yep, GI, that's what it does. which is why it helps with sugar intake in the end. And um, I, I just wanted more fiber in my diet. There wasn't really any besetting problems that, you know, I mean, any random 60-year-old like me has. But it, but still, nonetheless, I wanted to kind of make a change. And so I did. I decided to cut meat out no more than once a day. Yeah, well, I do the cooking around here. So it means I make two lunches. But that's okay because <laughs> I'm still eating meat six times a day. Don't at me. I'm allowed to eat what I want to eat. And you should eat what yes. you want to eat. I married the world's biggest carnivore. I mean, Bruce is truly. He... If it had parents. I'll eat it, and then I'll eat the parents. <laughs> that's not totally true, actually. Actually, that's much more true of me. Not no more. I'm the one who is willing to eat almost any organ of any animal. So Did I not make chopped liver last week? Me, I like the way that you can't say chopped <laughs> liver without dropping into the Queen's accent, <laughs> chopped liver. I like that you can't even say it without dropping into that My accent. grandmother, though, is turning over in her grave. Your who? Your grandmother? grandmother. Because I use half chicken liver and half pig liver, oh. and it's really good. It's it's kosher because it depends on how you kill the pig. Anyway, <laughs> we're, we're way off topic. So w- what we want to do is we want to kind of offer a lazy person's guide to helping save the planet in terms of climate change and in terms of what you eat. And these are some simple things that you can do that can help indeed alleviate this oncoming crisis that is heading Mm -hmm. toward us because it is affecting plant crops around the world. And if 76% of the world's population gets most of its daily nutrient requirements from plants... We need to keep growing plants. mm -hmm. And let me say, Mark called it the lazy person's guide. That is from the UN. It's not like we're making fun of lazy people. And if you are a lazy person, then this guide is for you. But if it upsets you that we've called it that, write a letter to the UN. (laughs) Just address it to 
the UN, New write York City. Write a, a letter. letter. Write a letter. Write a letter. How old are you? 150? <laughs> write a letter. Write a, I got a letter to write today. Put a stamp on it. Oh, my God. Go to the post office <laughs> right. and buy a stamp. Dear sir, stop. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, anyway, the first bit is clearly kind of what I've done, and that is eat less poultry, fish, meat, etc. These things are much harder on the planet than plants, and in the end, their carbon footprint is higher than plants. I did not make my decisions based on uh, environmental concerns. I made them based on my own aging. So th- that was my decision based on what I You said I on think. your aging, not on your agent. No, no, my agent doesn't care what I eat, but my literary agent could care less what I eat. But my, I, I guess she cares what I eat if I order the lobster when she takes this out to lunch. But he's saying that because she and her husband are kosher. Okay. okay. Well, anyway, so and she's forced to pay for lobster. So anyway, um, That's I, a Shonda. I made this decision because of my health. But again, just remember these things are indeed harder on the planet. Mm-hmm. And we're not trying to make a political statement here. It's just that raising cows and raising pigs. And, you know, farming fish are trawling and dragging the bottoms yep. of the ocean are much harder. And that's not really, really, honestly, it shouldn't be a left or right discussion. We all have to eat and we have to eat yep. fish, I think. And we have to eat cows, most of us. And we have to eat pigs, most of us. And we have to eat chickens, most of us. We don't have to eat those things. But I mean, we're going to. We're going to. So the- if we're going to, then we have to figure out how to do it so that we don't destroy the world around us. Because those animals that we're eating are eating plants. So we're growing the plants anyway and then feeding them to the animals and then eating the animals so we're way, way removed from that food chain. Okay. So the other thing we want to talk about is food waste and that's a huge problem. The more food we waste, the more food we have to grow, the harder it is on the planet. So here's what you could do. When you have leftovers or produce you're not going to use, freeze it before yeah. it has a chance to go bad. You know, the best thing to freeze, honestly, is watch for sales on blueberries. Because blueberry, <laughs> right? blueberries freeze like a dream. And they also go bad as you look at them. Right. They can anymore, it seems like, when you buy Blackberries, them. too. Oh, oh yeah. Those goodness. are harder to freeze. They can break down more. But blueberries freeze and thaw like a dream. They do. They do. So I, whenever I see them on sale in the supermarket, I always grab a couple containers because I want to put them in a bag at home and drop them in the freezer for later. And Don't just think about freezing stuff that you bought at the store or stuff that you made. Think about freezing takeaway food and delivery food. If you know you don't like to eat the same thing two days in a row, then you could freeze half that Chinese food you bought and have it later in the week. Right, don't exactly. throw it away. Try not to waste if you can help it. Yeah, exactly. Now, there are some things that are just no good. I mean, you know, basically your take-out deep-fried Chinese chicken stir-fry is not going to be good out of the freezer. We live when we lived in Manhattan. We of course were writing lots of cookbooks even back then, and we had a neighbor across the hall, and she was a struggling writer, and she you know often needed something to eat. Literally, she was a struggling writer. She got gypped by her publisher. Her she was due. Oh, join the club. <laughs> she was due hundreds of thousands of dollars of royalties, and her publisher went out of business. It was really awful, and they didn't pay for like a year and a half, and then they just went out of business. 
was this terrible story. And she'd been on Oprah with her book. I don't know why I'm in this story. But she'd been on Oprah with her book twice. I mean, this was a really big seller. And then it all fell apart on her. And she needed food. So anyway, we would be testing recipes and we'd say, do you want X, Y, and Z? And she took and everything. And no matter what everything. it was, she took it and, and everything went in her freezer. And yeah, so we would ha- we would sit with her cat when she went out of town and, you know, take care of her cat and feed it and all that kind of stuff when she went out of town. And we'd go into her apartment and look in the freezer and there would be, like, cucumber salad. That was the and, best, oh, seeing the frozen cucumber oh, salad. But she claims it was oh, all good when she thought it. So, you know oh, what? You could try and freeze it. Better to freeze it and throw it out at another time than... throw it out right away because it might be good. Okay, so something else you could do is uh, buy minimally packaged goods. Buy whatever packaging looks the easiest to get into, the least complicated, and made of the most recyclable possible materials. And I want to say that because I've been eating a lot of salads lately at lunch, I just want to say that we save back a lot of salad because Bruce sometimes makes too much. And let me tell you that it's mostly not lettuce salads, it's chopped salads. So, you know, like bell peppers and cucumbers and tomatoes and that kind of stuff all chopped up. Last for days. Yes. Well, one of the ways and tricks I I have discovered in saving it, because I can never eat as much as there is, one of the tricks in saving it is that I kind of pour off some of the dressing mm-hmm. and then put, it's because those vegetables are now already dressed. I remember salt and vinegar starts to break down things. So that stuff when it goes in a container in the fridge gets disgusting in about 24 hours. So again, I drain off the dressing. The, it's already adhering to the vegetables. Mm-hmm. And then it's better than having a soupy broken down mess the next day. You know, and you can always add a squeeze of fresh lemon when you go to have the leftovers and it brightens it right up. And one easy way that you can kind of uh, take an environmental stance on your food. And again, we're not trying to be political here, but it's just an easy thing to do is you don't need to heat your oven for braises and stews. You can stick it in your oven and turn your oven to whatever you need for your braises and stew. Now notice I'm saying braises and stews. I'm not saying roasts and I'm not saying anything baked, but there are items that don't need heating of your oven. You'll save electricity or gas or whatever. Do you know that that they're predicting a giant national gas shortage across New England where yeah. we live this winter. They're saying that there is not enough natural gas to basically deal with the New England winter that's coming. Yeah. So if you want to help a little bit on that, a little bit on that, consider not heating your oven for reheating leftovers or for braises and stews. Now remember, Mark is talking about heating your oven ahead of time so that it's at temperature when the food goes in. Great for braises, great for leftovers. Sometimes you must heat it ahead of time yeah of course uh, for baking absolutely and for a big roast yes of course but there are other things you could also do take that roast out of the refrigerator an hour and a half before you put it in the oven so it's not ice cold it'll cook faster it won't take as much energy and it'll cook more evenly which is another plus remember too that if you're shopping consider supporting local stores we have a local natural food market not too far from us about 20 minutes away in rural new england it's nice to shop at local stores because again the amount of of time produce has to get there or the amount of time even let's say dairy products from local farms has to get there is much shorter than if I drive all the way to a Whole Foods which is almost an hour away and I spent all that gas oh and my that, God, gas. that uh, food has been trucked from all over the place. I mean it's nice to go to Whole Foods and I love
love it. I love driving out there. I love taking the afternoon and making a whole trip out. That's how rural we live. Um, but still, nonetheless, do support your local things. And don't forget funny fruit. Oh, funny fruit. That's, you know, the fruits and vegetables that are sadly thrown out of the store because yeah. nobody buys them because their shape is odd. Yeah. The size is odd. They don't look right. Sometimes stores will put these out and sell them as funny fruit or odd fruit. Buy it. There's nothing wrong with them. You don't need to have the most perfectly pristine piece of vegetable or fruit if you're just going to be peeling it right. and chopping it up. Even if you're just eating it out of hand, who cares if the apple is misshapen? If it's delicious, it, you, you will save Food. In our local stop and shops in rural New England, that's our local supermarket chain. In our local stop and shops, they have speed racks of less than perfect vegetables, kind of to the side of the produce section. And whenever I'm shopping, mostly Bruce is the chef and I'm the writer, and so mostly Bruce does the shopping because he's preparing for recipe testing and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So, but when I'm with him, I always go check that speed rack because on it will be, you know, okay, bananas that are not quite, <laughs> that are not at their prime. They're a little brown, but they're not fermented. Yet. But they're, no, they're not. They're not rotty. There'll be bananas. There'll be other fruit that's not exactly as prime. I can get those bananas home. I can peel them. I can cut them in half. I can throw them in a plastic bag and throw them in the freezer. Mm. And then they're right for smoothies. They're yep. right for baking later. And they are so much more economical. And also, I am helping a little bit, a little bit, a little bit with food waste. Now, let me tell you something. There is a big major very fancy supermarket chain in Texas. And if you are from Texas, you know who I'm talking about. And I'm talking about this unbelievably gorgeous chain that started in Austin that carries billions of products. And they really irritate me at this point when I go in these stores in Texas when we visit friends in Texas. Because anymore, they mostly cut the cheese into pieces. All this artisanal cheese, cowgirl, creamery and all, they cut it into wedges and they put it under plastic where it rots. Mm -hmm. And it makes me so irritated because I look at this gorgeous gourmet cheese counter and half the cheese is rotting. I don't know why they do this. Well, of course they do it to save on work hours so that there's not and not a long line of people waiting at the cheese counter asking for cheese to be cut. And also it's expensive to buy a whole cowgirl creamery tom of cheese. And it's expensive for you to wait online and ask them to cut you a wedge from one, I know, so they pre-cut them, and yes, they're all rotting. So you—they're all going to waste. So and there and that's pla- more plastic containers because they have them in those clamshell containers. Yeah, and it's really not. And they're a great under wraps, thing. and you look at you know this beautiful piece of the midnight moon, or this beautiful piece of one of those co- you know coaches from California, and you can see that the rot and the liquefaction, mm. <laughs> liquefaction, all around the corner. So of maybe it. It really we should go there me. and buy those rotted pieces of cheese and go down to the art museum and throw them against the wall. Excellent. What an excellent plan. Uh, You know what? I'm going to let you do that on your own, and then you can send me a letter (laughs) with a stamp, and you can tell me exactly what's going on. Okay, so these are things you can do. Rather than throwing tomato soup at your local art, these are things you can do that if everyone did would help a little bit with climate change, with food production, and maybe sort of help the hunger problem in the world. 
Before we get to our next segment, let me say that it would be great if you could rate this podcast. Thank you very much, Richard in Southern California and Sue in Boston. You recently rated the podcast, and we so appreciate that. We are unsupported because we want to say exactly what we want to say. We do not want an advertiser determining exactly the content of this podcast because, believe it or not, their tentacles get in you, and suddenly they wrap around you, and yes, you start making money from your podcast, but at the same time, you are silenced in certain ways and we want to be free and easy. So if you could rate this podcast, if you could drop a comment, that would be great because it will keep us up in the analytics a bit and therefore keep us going a bit and, you know, helps us out. So off to our second segment, our one minute cooking tip. If you're tired of thin cookies that spread too much on your cookie sheet, there's a simple answer. Chill your cookie dough well before you bake your cookies. You know, the colder dough will spread you, less and be thicker. I got to tell you, this, when I was a kid and mom made, my mom is still alive and she's 90 years old now and she lives in a facility, but independent living, she's living independently at 90, but you know, she's still alive. But when I was a kid, when she would make cookies, the dough was always chill. It was a thing. The dough mm-hmm. always went in there. We would make cookies. You know, I'd come home from school and maybe we'd make sugar cookies or we'd make chocolate chip cookies. And there was always this thing that we would make the dough and then I would go do my homework and she would put the dough in the refrigerator. And we'd come back and then we'd later make the cookies before dinner. And what happened to that step? Yeah, <laughs> Why did, I think everybody it, wants to save time. Yeah. Now, the funny thing is... <laughs> When you know, I've been re- testing recipes for a new book we're doing, and I've been using refrigerator cookie dough in some recipes. It's mm. a new air fryer book, and I wanted to play with cookie dough. Well, refrigerator cookie dough is refrigerated, so therefore it's cold. It spreads like crazy. So they put something in it to make it spread. Uh, and I don't get it. I don't know why those people like thin cookies, but I like thick cookies. And so if I'm making dough by well, hand, it gets chilled and then baked. I like crunch. And that's my problem is I like really crunchy mm-hmm. cookies. And I think if you chill the dough, you often get a crisper cookie. Like when we make spritzes, uh, if you don't know about this, you really should check it out sometime. We make spritzes a lot at Christmas or pressed cookies out of a cookie press and they're just butter cookies with uh, sugar on top and they're they are much crisper if you chill the dough this has gone way over one minute hasn't it we have really <laughs> the 12 minute cooking tip uh, yeah we've really blown this thing apart let's get off to segment three this is the time when I usually do an interview with a cookbook author or an artisanal food producer, but we have exciting news and we are going to do something different instead. Our latest cookbook, The Instant Air Fryer Bible, yeah. goes on sale this week. If you're listening to this podcast on the day it dropped, the book goes on sale tomorrow. It goes on sale Tuesday, the 8th of November. If you're listening after that, you can go to Amazon or any local bookstore and buy the book now. And you should buy the book now. This book is specifically written for for instant brand air fryer. So if you have an instant pot, this is specifically written for, and what we should say up front, this book is underwritten and supported by instant brands. It's for their Vortex and their Omni machines. But let me tell you that in the end, as I've said a million times, 350 degrees is 350 degrees. Their Vortex brands are mostly drawer style, mostly drawer style uh, air fryers, and their Omni brands are mostly Toaster oven style, right? Mostly. There's crossover here in all kinds of ways. But still, nonetheless, the point here is that the book is written for both drawer style and toaster oven style air fryers. The, the book is not, and I can tell you this 
adequately and firmly. It is not written for ovens with air fryer settings. Oh, no. I get asked that question all the time just in general. I was on WAMC radio last week talking about air frying. And I got a number of calls about, well, my new oven has an air fry setting. Do yes. I still need an air fryer? My yes. answer is yes. yes. Um, you do. Because the, let me just do a quick difference between a convection oven and an air fryer. Because wait, it, air fryers have become so hot that manufacturers are calling convection ovens well, they're, air fryer They're putting ovens. an air fryer setting in that convection oven. Correct. Convection ovens are a big open space. And the reason they have the feature to convect is so the air will blow around and keep the temperature even throughout the whole oven. And they're and, brilliant. And an air fryer is a small contained space. And the fan is blowing at a super high speed so the food is being hit with this fast, hot Scirocco. And no matter how fast you blow that fan in a standard oven, it's too big a space to give you the same result as a countertop air fryer. Yeah, that's true. And that's the thing, is the air fryer is so small. I know it's big on a counter, but it is, in fact, such a small space. As Bruce said, it actually works better under this high, intense winds. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really, and this is uh, this is a longer conversation, but an air fryer is really an air desiccator. That is really what's happening in there. It's not frying. It's not like when you drop food in hot oil and there's a transfer of the moisture from the crust of the chicken for fat in the oil and blah, 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 and all that happens at once, and therefore you get this crunchy skin on the chicken. An air fryer is not technically frying. It's technically desiccating. But I have to tell you, that doesn't sound too appetizing, but I have to tell you that chicken wings in an air fryer are astounding. They are. Because they seem as if they've been dropped in a deep fryer. They have. Now, I want to just amend a little bit. You do need some fat in any food that goes in there. And so the thin layer of fat on the very outside of the food is actually protecting that food from drying too much and it is sizzling, and on a molecular level, it is frying the very thinnest surface of the food. So it's drying it, frying it, crisping it, making it absolutely delicious without immersing it in oil, without making a huge mess. And Mark is going to tell you some of our amazing recipes in the new book. I can tell you one recipe I love in the new book, and it's the French onion chicken. And Mm -hmm. I love this recipe because basically what Bruce did is he came up with this recipe where you take the, you know, the canned fried onions famed from the green bean casserole in the brand, I think it's Durkee, and then there are, you can get store generic brands too. Right, that's famed from the green bean casserole in the U.S. at Thanksgiving. Okay, so you take that can of fried onions and you grind it with panko breadcrumbs and half of a bouillon cube, a beef bouillon cube, and some time and you've now made a coating that kind of tastes a little bit like french onion soup you dip the chicken in the chicken breasts boneless skinless chicken breast in egg and then in that breadcrumb and fried onion mixture mm. and then you air fry it until it's crunchy and at the very last minute you lay Swiss or if you really want to get fancy Gruyere cheese oh there you go on top of the chicken for just the last minute so that now that cheese melts into the into the coating and you do have this chicken breast that is vaguely reminiscent <laughs> of French onion in soup, the classic bistro favorite. And one of my favorite things in the book that we do is we talk about frozen 
staples like tater tots and onion rings and french fries and how to make them better. And tater tots, to me, I love them because they're crunchy, but they're often very salty. And I decided to try to do something to make them even better in the air fryer. So I tossed them with powdered sugar. And a little bit of powdered sugar balances the saltiness. It doesn't make them sweet, but it does give a little thinnest caramelized coating on them, making them even crunchier. And the recipe for the tater tots with powdered sugar is really to die for. Yeah, and it, by the way, it's on our YouTube channel, right? And our TikTok channel. So look, Both go, of called Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Go to those channels of Cooking with Bruce and Mark, and you can see me, yes, Mark, make this stuff. I'm being a little insane in the tater tot video, but you can watch me on the YouTube channel make it. I'm a little bit excitable. Uh, I, I also love the open ha- open-faced ham and cheese sandwiches because this is a gluten-free open-faced ham and cheese sandwich so long as you buy gluten-free certified gluten-free ham which you can find at most delis and what it what happens is it's made on a frozen hash brown patty so you get the frozen hash brown patties you don't thaw them you put them in the air fryer with ham and cheese there you go on top of them and you suddenly have this gluten-free ham and cheese on a hash brown uh, frozen hash brown mm. patty. there's nothing that could be easier no. this is why you get an air fryer listen bruce makes unbelievable um, Sri Lankan curries. He makes unbelievable Sichuan dumplings. He has whole sets of different kinds of Sichuan meat pies and dumplings that he has perfected. He is a This crazy, is not air fryer food. No, I'm saying that he's a crazy person about watching thousands of Chinese cooks on YouTube videos. On He's become increasingly crazy about Sri Lankan curries. It's it's. He does this very elaborate cooking, but this is not why you buy an air fryer. You buy an air fryer so that you can get a frozen hash brown patty, put ham and cheese on it, and make basically a really easy dinner or lunch. And, by the way, it happens to be a gluten-free one, as long as you buy a gluten-free certified ham. And you get it so that you can make onion ring nachos. You get it so that you can make (laughs) bacon-wrapped dates. And you get it so that you can make dessert. Most people don't realize you can make dessert in an air fryer. In fact... I just shot a whole series of new Craftsy.com classes on air fryer desserts. So you can go to Craftsy.com and check those out, too. Um, and one of my favorite desserts, it's so easy. You know those little three-inch graham cracker pie crusts you get in the supermarket? Mm-hmm. They're ready to go. So mm-hmm. I fill the bottom with a little bit of hot fudge. Top that with some peanut butter. Top that with marshmallow fluff. And put that in the air fryer for one minute. And this is why I'm eating salad at lunch. <laughs> and this is and why I'm eating an oatmeal at breakfast. The the fluff browns like a meringue. The fudge and peanut butter warm up and melt into each other. The crust gets crispy. It's a 2,300-calorie dessert, <laughs> and it is worth every bite. Yeah, and the I have to say the trick to making a great patty melt that is in the Instant Air Fryer Bible is crazy. Basically, you want to coat the bread on the outside with a thin coating of mayonnaise. And even if you hate mayonnaise, it doesn't matter because the mayonnaise soaks into the bread and makes it super crunchy mm-hmm. and you end up with this delicious patty melt. I love it. It doesn't well, taste like mayonnaise. Oh it God. just tastes like crunch. When I was a kid, the big treat, we lived in Chicago. I'm from Texas, by 
uh, we lived in Chicago during second and third grade in Arlington Heights, which is not technically Chicago, I know. But we lived in Arlington Heights. My dad worked downtown in Chicago. And uh, my mom and I would occasionally go to this place, the Red Balloon, for lunch when I was off from school or in the summer. And at the Red Balloon, she and I would split a patty melt and then we would split it because then afterwards we would get the strawberry shortcake. The whole point of splitting the patty melt was to get the strawberry shortcake at the end. But still, nonetheless, we would split that too. And it was just like this thing, this great patty melt and French fries and then strawberry shortcake for dessert. <laughs> Maybe that is why I'm eating salad for that oatmeal now. <laughs> Well, there's something else we did in the Instant Air Fry Bible I want to talk about. We've taken a handful of recipes in this book, and we have broken them into step-by-step photographic storylines. So we show you how every step in the recipe looks so you know how to do it. If we say to fold the dough a certain way, you'll see me fold it. Those are my hands. It's our kitchen. If I say spray on both sides, you see exactly how I'm spraying it. If I say turn it, you see how I'm turning it. There are... Lots of pictures and lots of step-by-step, and this book is better than we've ever done because of that. Yeah, it is. And thanks to Eric Metzger, our photographer for our last 13 books, great photographer. We, he has a great career as a drink and cocktail photographer. He does a lot of drinks. His beautiful stuff. You can check him out on Instagram. Eric he drinks Metz- a lot of drinks, too. <laughs> Eric Medsker. We, we feed him well during shoots, <laughs> and we drink him well because we want really good shots out of him. So, And also, he's a great friend, and so I want to drink with him. So anyway, check out the Instant Air Fryer Bible. It is out right now, and we would certainly appreciate it if you would give it a look and let us know what you think about it, you can do that on our Facebook page, Cooking with Bruce and Mark, or you can go to our brand new redesigned website, Cooking with Bruce and Mark or bruceandmark.com. It all goes to the same place and you can find free recipes there as well as ways to get in touch with us. So our final and traditional last segment, what's making us happy in food this week? So it is the beginning of November as we're recording this, and Halloween has been over for a few days, and I went into CVS, and of course it was the day before Halloween that I went in, and all the Halloween candy was being marked down to nothing as they brought out Christmas. <laughs> of course. It was October, oh. and they were putting out Christmas. Oh. So I haven't even fully cleaned up my garden yet. You can't put out the Christmas trees. Quit so that. out went the Halloween Snickers, in went the Christmas Snickers, but... Wait, what? What? What in the hell are Christmas Snickers? Just Snickers in red and green packaging as opposed to orange and black they packaging. They have like mint in it oh, or no, something. No, 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 no. It's just packaging. But what was okay. going out that found its way into my bag was dark Kit Kats. And that's what's uh, making me happy this there week. You go. Dark Kit Kats because you can't find them everywhere and they're often expensive. And these were like $2 for a giant bag of dark Kit Kats. So now one of our jars in the living room that is sits on the coffee table is filled with dark Kit Kats. Okay. And what's making me happy in food this week is that it is, as we say, the end of the growing season. And the winter squash is in in abundance. And also, if you check out your local farmers markets, they are mostly trying to get rid of it. 
So winter squash is cheap and it is inexpensive. It can feed a lot. It's a great way to add more vegetables to your meal. And fiber. Remember we talked about fiber? Mm -hmm. And Bruce just came home from a local farmer's market in New England the other day with a couple of red curry, K-U-R-I, red curry squashes. They are delicious. They're more savory than pumpkins or butternut squashes. They, I love them in an air fryer. Peel it, seed it, cut it in chunks, spray them, and salt air fry it. them. Yeah, salt them. And air fry them. They're delicious. They're delicious roasted. They're delicious in stews of all sorts. And at this time of year, they're less expensive because everybody's trying to get rid of the remaining before winter produce. So check out winter squashes this week in your shopping. That's it for the podcast, Cooking with Bruce and Mark. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for being a part of our journey. Thanks for listening and checking in with us. We are thrilled that you're here, and we hope that you're checking in with us because, hey, we're all in this together. We are, and we hope that we will be together again for our next episode of Cooking with Bruce and Mark. 